listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. You know, there, there's a popular opinion that the church is antiquated and irrelevant, and that's said by people that have never been here. Come on. Yeah. And I tell you what, I don't, I don't know that there's another church in our area that will go from Hillsong to Rihanna as a part of their worship set. But I thought it was awesome. Well, welcome to Venice Church. Um, uh, if today is your first time with us, my name is Matt. I get the pleasure of being one of the pastors here at Vintage, and we are so glad that you're here, that you're joining us for week two of a series that we're calling The Core. And our attempt in this series is to get back and remember and focus once again on what are the core priorities for us as a church. Because the reality is a church fails to accomplish its mission when it drifts from its priorities. And one of the main reasons why the church gets so ineffective in our culture is because we forget what really matters. Can we all agree that there have especially been times in our recent past that the church has argued and fought and been divided by issues that simply do not matter? Like one of the greatest tactics the enemy has gotten us to do is fight over stuff that's irrelevant. And if we're fighting each other over things that are irrelevant, then we're not fighting him. And so when we started this church, we just decided there were going to be some things that matter and things that don't, and we're not going to fight about it. And if you show up and and, and something really matters to you that you kind of just get stuck on that really doesn't matter to Scripture, then you probably need to move on to another church. Because there's going to be some things that matter for us, and there's priorities. And the the reality is, Scripture is very black and white about a lot of stuff. But there are some things that that leave some room for interpretation, and we're not going to fight about those irrelevant things. We're not going to let those things bog us down. But what we're going to fight about, what we're going to make priority, are the things that keep us continuing what Jesus started. And that's the mission of the church, is to continue what Jesus began. Amen? Like, that's why the church exists. That will always be why the church exists until he comes back to take us home. That the church exists to continue what Jesus began. That's our whole purpose. And the priorities that we have set as a church are the things that we believe are necessary to keep us being who God created the church to be. The priorities that matter to us most are the things that we believe that have to be priority if we're going to continue what Jesus started. And last week we started talking about that. And one of the number one things that we see that must be priority for us is intentional relationships. Because intentional relationships are how Jesus started this whole thing, right? Jesus built the kingdom of God one intentional relationship at a time. When he was on this earth and he looked at his disciples and when he called them to himself, he didn't give this demand for belief. He gave this invitation to relationship, right? He looked at him, he said, come follow me. Not follow a list of rules or follow a list of demands or obligation to some set of principles. He literally said, come and and like follow me. Come into my life. Come and build a relationship with me. And as you enter into relationship with me and as I'm intentional with you over the next three years, you're going to learn some stuff about who God created you to be. 
and who I am and why he sent me. And the movement of God was born. And, and it, takes, it goes into the New Testament. As the early church began to grow, it grew one intentional relationship at a time. When people invested in the lives of other people, the reality is people come to Jesus and grow in Jesus through intentional relationships. And we were all challenged to be intentional and that has to remain a priority for us if we're going to continue to be the movement that God has called us to be. And you know, as I look in Scripture, God is all about movement. I'm just going to let it marinate a little bit. I like awkward silence from time to time. Have you ever noticed that? Like, there, there's a pattern that I've picked up in Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation... There is something that you constantly see God doing all throughout the Bible, all throughout history. And if I'm honest, as I look at my own life, there's a pattern that I constantly have watched God do in my life. God is always doing this. God is always trying to get his people to go from where they are to where he wants them to be. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever noticed that? Like God is all about mo movement and motion. Genesis to Revelation, God is always trying to say, here is where you are, and here is where I want you to be. And all of God's activity in all of that is to get people to move from where they are to where he intends them to be. That's the story of God. Everything from stories like Moses leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They were in Egypt. That is not where they were supposed to be. They got there for a reason, you do, do you remember why the, the nation of Israel ended up in Egypt? It was basically to save their lives. There was a famine that was coming, and it was around the time of a guy named Joseph. And Joseph actually saved the nation of Israel by bringing his family to Egypt. And because they were in Egypt, and because God had set him up in a position to help them, when the famine came that killed millions of people in the world, the nation of Israel was saved because God brought them to Egypt. But like the people of God, this is what we tend to do. We tend to go where God wants us to go, but to stay longer than he meant us to stay there. Because see, the reality is we're bad about getting stuck. The church especially is bad about getting stuck. That's why when you walk through the doors of most of the churches in our area, it's like walking through a time portal. Because somewhere along the way, we just get stuck. And God's like, I meant for you to be there at one time because at one time being there was good. Being doing church the way you did then was good because it reached people. But eventually things change and you had to change with it or things get stuck. Because this is, God is about movement. God is about motion. You know why? Because God is about life. And stationary and stagnant things always die. Have you ever been on a body of water that has no flow? No movement. You ever come up on a, on a puddle or, or, or place it or, or whatever that, that, that just has no movement? It's, it's disgusting. Because things just begin to grow in there that ain't, this, it's just nasty. Stagnant things without motion die. And that's why God is about movement. God is constantly moving us as his people. Collectively and individually. As I look throughout my life, all of God's activity in my own life have been to push me from where I was to where he wanted me to be next. Because God is always growing us more and more into who he created us to be. 
And that is a lifelong process. And the tendency for most of us and most of churches and most families and most people is to get stuck. And the reason why is because there will always be moments that threaten the motion of the movement. There will always be moments that threaten the motion of the movement. Like there's always going to be something that you experience or something that you go through in life, or an obstacle or a roadblock you hit that threaten your potential to keep moving forward. Am I making sense? Say amen. You with me? There are always moments that threaten the motion of the movement. And so often we let these moments stall us out and keep us from moving forward and going to where God called us to be. Go back to the nation of Israel. Again, there was a moment where they just got stuck, and they got stuck for 450 years. And then even when they left Israel, as they're leaving uh, Egypt and headed to the promised land, they have a moment where they stand on the Red Sea, and in front of them is the Red Sea, and behind them is the greatest army in the known world. It's a moment that threatens the motion of the movement. And they can decide whether they're going to get stuck and die or find a way to push forward. And as you know, God intervenes. The sea opens but then they end up wandering around longer than they had to for 40 years before moving into that place. And like in my life and in your life, you've had moments that have threatened the motion of your movement, of your continued growth in Jesus, of your continued spiritual development. See, there's a lot of people in the room, spiritually, you're stuck because you had a moment that stopped the motion. You had something that, that went wrong in your life. Maybe it was a bad church experience or maybe it was, it was a loss of some kind. Like we all have these things that before we know it, we just get stuck and years and years go by and we haven't progressed and grown further than God wants us to be. Some of you are still at the same spiritual age as you were when you got saved 20 years ago and that is not okay with God. Because God is about motion. God is about movement. There are always moments that threaten the motion of the movement and we cannot allow that to happen because God has more over there God has more in front of you I believe in Christ your best days are always the one that lie in front of you and you cannot allow yourself to get stuck and we as the church if we're gonna continue to make the difference in the world that God wants us to make we cannot get stuck and from the very beginning, from the early onset of the church, there have been moments that have threatened the movement. There have been moments that threaten the motion of the movement. This is not something that, that, that we have, is new to us. And again, there are times when we as a church face things that threaten to get us stuck. And I'm not good at getting stuck because I believe that God has big things in store for his people. I don't mean just this church, I mean his church, I mean for us. I mean, I believe that the church is still the God-ordained agent to take the gospel to the world. We are the change agent for this culture. It is us, it is our job, and we cannot get stuck. But there are constantly things that threaten the motion of the movement, and go, it goes all the way back to the early days. Go back to Acts chapter four. I want to show you, just even in the book of Acts, even in the early days of this thing called the church, there were moments that threatened the motion of the movement. And the same things that threatened the motion then can threaten the motion now. Acts chapter 4, the church is in its very early stages. You realize on the day of Pentecost, the church went from like 150 to like 3,150. Boom. 
church began to grow and this movement began to just balloon and God began to just do amazing things and there were people within the culture of the early church and the fact that this movement that Jesus started was growing so much freaked them out. Like they, they, they didn't like it. Because, you know, Jesus wasn't the first one to kind of bring a religious movement in their culture. There was others that started, got to a certain level, and then kind of phased out. There was others that started in motion and had a moment, and they stopped. And in the early church, in Acts chapter 4, you begin these things to start, see, start happening even then. Peter and John have just healed a man. And so that's a pretty big deal. The word begins to spread, and people get become more and more convinced that Jesus, this Jesus that they're preaching is who he says he was, and this is how it begins to unfold in Acts 4, 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. In other words, like, what is happening here? We've got to figure out what this whole movement of Jesus is all about because their positions of power began to get threatened. Y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Verse 16. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. Verse 17. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, to stop the motion of the movement, the, uh, going in, among, the, among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You notice what they're doing? They don't want them to stop doing the things that they're doing that are really positively impacting the community. They just don't want them doing it in the name of Jesus. Like, we love that you're being generous and kind and needs are being met, but we, we, need, we need you to take Jesus out of it. Not familiar at all, is it? No way is it in, ingrained in our culture anymore. Like, we want the, the, the byproduct of kindness and generosity. We just don't want it attached to the name of Jesus. This is a moment that threatens the motion of the movement. And look at what Peter and John do. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And in that moment, they avoid a moment that threatened the motion of the movement because they will not let themselves cater to something other than what they know to be reality and truth. But it keeps happening. Go into Acts chapter 6. Again, the church is continuing to grow. The movement is spreading. People are coming to Jesus. And, and, and again, as, as this growth happens and as this movement begins to spread, the problems that threaten its continuing to happen continue to rise as well. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So like there's coming a time where like the movement has gotten so big, the ability of those leaders at the beginning to care for all the people had kind of run its course. Like their ability to meet the needs of everybody. The church had outgrown the ability of the current apostles' ability to meet everyone's needs. And the reality is the church's job is to take care of people. Amen? But they've got to find a solution because they know that in and within themselves, they can't do it all. So verse 
2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. In other words, you know what we have to do? We have to raise up other people to help care for all the needs of all these people because they realized at that point it wasn't the pastor's job to take care of the church. It was the church's job to take care of each other. And one of the reasons why the church is stalled out in our culture is because we expect the one that gets the paycheck to do all the work. And that's not how God designed it. And that's not how it continues to grow. It keeps happening. Go into Acts chapter 11. Before we get there, you got to understand what happens in Acts chapter 10 is a story that I referenced last week. It's when Peter goes to have a meal at a man named Cornelius' house. No big deal. Peter going to have a meal. But this meal was going to be different because in this meal, he was going to be asked to eat something his entire life he was told he wasn't supposed to eat. Now I'm thinking, based on Jewish culture, this was good North Carolina-style barbecue. Mustard-based, not vinegar-based. I'll start a fight in here over that one. And Cornelius eats this meal, and people begin to, and, and serves him this meal, and God comes to him in a vision, and Peter says, Peter looks at God and basically, I'm not eating that. I, I'm not eating unclean. I've never ate unclean in my life. And God says, looks at him and says, don't call clean, unclean what I've made clean. And this new paradigm begins to shift because now, see, something really weird is happening in the church. The church is no longer just people who grew up Jewish. It's people that grew up with all these different religious backgrounds. And now they've come un together under the umbrella of Jesus. And they got all these different ideas and all these different backgrounds and all these different customs. And now they have to coexist under Jesus. And the diversity is threatening to tear the church apart. And you know what they have to learn? They have to learn what matters and what doesn't. See, if the church is going to continue to grow, diversity is a must. See, the most beautiful thing about the early church is it was all different races and colors and backgrounds and ideas and stuff like that, but they knew the thing that united them was the power and blood of Jesus, and it caused them to work through their diversity in a way that honored God. But Peter goes and eats this meal, and the rest of the disciples begin to freak out. The rest of the apostles begin to ask questions. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went to the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. Can you believe he did that? Like y'all, some of y'all thinking, well, this would have been like a big deal. And so Peter, verse four, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story and begins to just have this conversation. And they have to see right now what's threatening the motion of the movement is, all right, how are we going to deal with all these things? How are we going to uh, make sure that everybody who's coming to Jesus, how do we do this in a way that's right and God-honoring? And there were actually some people within the movement that thought, basically before you could become Christian, you had to become Jewish first, which means you would have had to get circumcised before you came to Jesus. Welcome to Venice Church. Before you can be a part of us, we have to circumcise you. Come on in. Not a single dude would be in this church ever. I would be out. And they have to have this conversation because they have these rules and things now. And so 
skip down to verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. See, all along the way, we face moments that threaten the motion of the movement. And if we don't deal with them in a way that's healthy and productive, then eventually we will get stuck and we will not accomplish all that God has for our lives. We will not be all that God has created us to be. But I see another pattern in Scripture. In every single one of these cases, every single time there is a moment that threatens the motion of the movement, God deals with it the same way. He raises up a leader. Every single time, the motion of the movement is threatened to stop. How God finds a way through is he raises up a leader. You're welcome to try to prove me wrong, but you can't. Every single time. The nation of Israel is stuck in Egypt, he raises up Moses. When they get stuck after Moses' death, he raises up Joshua. When they get stuck in the Babylonian captivity, he raises up the prophets. When we're stuck in our sin and we can't get to where he wants us to go in relationship with him, he sends Jesus. Amen. When the Jesus has ascended into heaven and the work that he wants to continue on this planet needs to move forward, he raises up Peter and he raises up the other apostles and eventually he raises up Paul that every time there's a moment that threatens the motion of the movement, how God pushes his people forward is he raises up a leader. And that's why inspirational leadership will always be a priority for our church. That's why inspirational leadership will always be a priority for our church. Because what God wants to do through this body of believers is bigger than any of us can understand or imagine. God has ordained that we be something special in this community for his glory. He has called us to take the gospel to the people of this area in the time in which he's planted us. And we are constantly going to face moments that threaten the motion of our movement. We always have. There's constantly been times when this church should have stalled out. And every time what's brought our breakthrough is God has raised up a new leader. God builds leaders who break through barriers. That's God's resolution for keeping the movement moving. God builds leaders who break through barriers. God, throughout history, has been trying to take you, his church, humanity, from where we are to where he wants us to be. And all along the way, there are things that happen that threaten that motion to continue. And how we experience breakthrough is he builds up a leader. Every single time, go look at it. Go look Genesis to Revelation. Just, just look throughout church history. Just go look for it for yourself. Like there's always these moments when the enemy is trying to stop the movement of God. The enemy wants you stuck. Because he knows when you get stuck and stagnant, eventually you will die. And that's his whole goal is for your death. But God wants you to live, and how he keeps you living is he keeps you moving, he keeps you growing, he keeps you developing in who he wants you to be. The church will die if it fails to keep moving forward. And the way it keeps moving forward, God's tool, what he uses to keep that motion going, is he builds up leaders 
that when those barriers come, they have the courage to break through. This isn't just true for a church, for an organization. This is true in your own life. It's true in my life. There have been times in my life when there's been a moment that's threatened the motion of my own movement, of my own growth. It started before I was born. My biological mom was 16, year old, 16 years old when she had me. 16 years old, daughter of a Marine, military kid. I was born in 1978. 1973 was a little case called Roe versus Wade that made abortion legal. So I was born five years after that. For all intents and purposes, I probably should have been aborted. But God intervened. And I didn't grow up in an orphanage, and I didn't grow up bouncing from foster home to foster home. You know why? Because what threatened the motion of my movement from the beginning of my life, God sent a leaders in the form of Tommy and Joanne Smith, the most godly, amazing people that you've ever met in your life. And they came into my life from the very beginning to move me into God's plan that he had for my life from the start. And I could go through all along the way in my spiritual journey where there was times that I got stuck and I wanted to stay where I was. And every time what got me unstuck was God sent a leader into my life to speak hope and truth and challenge me and stretch me and push me to not settle for less than God's best. That's the way he does it. God builds leaders who break through barriers. And if we as a church are gonna continue to move forward, he's gonna have to keep building leaders. Every time we have a breakthrough as a church is when somebody that's sitting where you sit steps up and leads. Do you know every single person that's full-time at this church as a pastor or staff member started out sitting where you're sitting? Y'all don't realize how cool that is. We've never posted a resume. We've never had a job search. God has built leaders from within this body every single time. Every single time. Our worship pastor, our production director, our kids pastor, our student pastor, our executive, like all these people started out just sitting where you're sitting. And if we're gonna continue to move forward as a church, then God's gonna have to keep building leaders that break through the barriers that are bound to come. And I'll be honest with you, right now we face some. We're facing barriers. We're facing moments that threaten the motion of this movement. We've been in this, we've been in this building since February. We've been at or over capacity 13 out of 18 Sundays. And you know how we're going to keep moving forward? You're going to step up. You're, you're the leader that this church is gonna need. And I know here's the thing, there's so many people in the room, like the moment I start talking leader, you're like, you check out. That ain't me. I'm not a leader. And let me tell you why. And you can give me the list of reasons why you're not a leader. I can't, I can't talk in front of people. Moses said the same thing. I got too much of a past. Paul could have thought the same thing. I made too many mistakes too recently. Do you realize that when Peter stood up to address the, the people on the day of Pentecost, it was less than two months from when he denied Jesus? 
Your sin isn't too fresh for you to be led by God. And see, so I need you to stop, stop with that. Stop thinking, and see, another thing too is, is the church has failed at times because we've put who can and should lead in the church in this really small box. We've confined it to certain groups of people. We've combined it to certain ages. We've confined it to certain genders. And can I just say to you that as I read throughout Scripture, anybody who's willing to lead, God uses them to lead. And it doesn't matter if you're a man, a woman, young, old, any of those things. And some of y'all are pushing back like, whoa. Like, no, I have this image. Because you just heard me say, yeah, like, like, ladies can lead in the church. I'll prove it to you. Go all the way back to the Old Testament. Go to Micah chapter 6, verse 4. God says, I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you also, Aaron and Miriam. Did you just see God mention a lady in the same breath with Moses? That God, I used Moses, I used Aaron, and I used Miriam. And if you go into the New Testament, you see in the early church that ladies played a big role in leading the, the New Testament church into the places that God wants it to be. Go to Acts chapter 21. Pick up verse 8. After leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, it's really easy just to read over that passage of Scripture, but to understand how profound what was just written. And in fact, that would even be written in Scripture. They said there were four unmarried daughters who prophesied, who, who were the mouthpiece of God. Who were First of all, in this culture, if... Not only if you were a woman where you looked that different, especially if you weren't married, you had no value. And here in Scripture, it says that there were these four unmarried daughters of Philip that God used to help the passage in Joel come to life when he said, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, some of us have gotten to this place where we think, well, we isolate one thing that Paul said in one place as to, like, this isn't a possibility. But I want you to read what Paul said all throughout Romans chapter 16, when he says things like this, Romans 16, 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church. Paul just called a woman a deacon. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Priscilla, the wife, Aquila, the husband, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. And it's also interesting, there's times where Paul actually lists the lady's name first. We see throughout Scripture, this was an extraordinary woman who helped in mentoring a guy by the name of Apollos, who was one of the greatest preachers in the New Testament church. I wrote about Romans 16, 7. Greet Andronicus and Eunia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they, they were in Christ before I was. He mentions an, a, a lady here as an apostle leading in the church. Verse 12 of Romans chapter 16. Greet Trophenia and Trophosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Like all throughout the New Testament, you see God using men and women to help break down the barriers that are necessary to keep the movement moving. Like we, 
If God builds leaders that break through barriers, that means we need more and more leaders. And forgive me for the way the church at times has made you feel like leaders had to have some type of special look or education or something like that to actually contribute to the movement of God. Because you know what I see the qualifications are? Willingness. A surrendered heart, an obedient spirit. Somebody says, God, use me for your glory. And that has nothing to do with age or gender or education or skin color. It's about a submission to Jesus as Lord and allowing him and his will and his kingdom to be primary in your mind. Remember what he told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4? Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity until I come devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. He's calling up a generation to lead, and that includes you. And can I just say, we need you. God's kingdom needs you to lead. Because can I, can I be honest with you? The moments that threaten the motion of the movement in our culture are coming quicker than ever before. And the size of the barriers that we're gonna have to break through as the church to continue to do what Jesus desires are gonna be bigger than they ever before. I'm 40 now so I can sound old and crazy. Are you ready? I, I truly believe this. The closer we get to Jesus' return, the more difficult it's going to be to be the church. Amen. The things that we're going to have to break through, the things that are going to threaten our ability to continue what Jesus started are going to get harder and harder and harder. And the only way we keep being who God wants us to be is you got to rise up. you got to lead. you got to step into the destiny that God has for you and lead Let me give you three things that are going to be required if you're going to do that. Number one, see what's possible. To be a leader that God needs, see what's possible. Get a vision for your life, for your community, for your church, for your family. Stop settling for being stuck. See the potential that lies ahead. See what's possible. Having a vision is seeing what could and should be and settling for nothing less. And what God could and should do in your life is more than maybe you're currently living. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. See what's possible. Ask God to give you a bigger vision for your life. You aren't meant just to coast by comfortably settled. See what's possible. Second thing is this, you got to be willing to solve the problems. Because between where you are and where you want to be will always be problems. And leaders find solutions to problems. Followers point out problems, leaders solve them. There's going to constantly be problems that stand between you and where God wants you to be. There's problems right now for us as a church, for us to go from where we are to where we got, God wants to be. And the further you go, the bigger the vision's gonna become and the bigger the problems will be. And if you let the problems scare you, you'll get stuck. If you convince yourself that the problems are unsolvable, you'll become stagnant. There'll be problems in your marriage going from where it is to where it needs to be. There'll be problems 
and taking your kids from the people they are to the people that God wants them to be. There will be problems all along the way. See what's possible. Solve the problems. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Don't let the problem scare you and move you off center. And thirdly, step into potential. Step into potential. God has more for you. God always has more. He has more for our church. He has more for your family. He has more for your life. See what's possible. Work to solve those problems and start stepping in to the potential and see what God unleashes in your life because you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for you to do. There will always be moments that threaten the motion of the movement. And the question is, will you step up or will you stay stuck? Will you step up and lead wherever God's calling you to lead, wherever he needs you to lead, or will you stay stuck? God builds leaders who break through barriers. That leader is you. He wants you to be a leader in your home. He wants you to be a leader in your school. He wants you to be a leader in your community. He wants you to be a leader in this church. So what you have to do now is figure out, are you ready to step up and lead where he's put you to lead? Stand with me and let's pray. You can't respond to all this just by saying a prayer in this room. The true test of how you'll respond to this is what you do next. You've got to respond with some type of action. As we get prepared to worship and sing and take this moment just to solidify what God's been saying to you, well, you just ask God what it means for you to step up. What will stepping up for you look like? Where do you need to step up? Maybe there's some of you need to step up in this church. Like you've been just sitting in that seat for far too long, and we need you. This church needs you. God's kingdom needs you. Some of you, you've been sitting on the sidelines too long in your home, and it's time to step up and lead your family, lead your kids, lead somewhere. Everybody has the potential to lead because everybody is in a position to influence somebody for his good and his glory. Don't let anything stop the motion of the movement that God's trying to do in your life. Find out what he wants from you. Have the courage to do it. Father, I pray that as we worship you right now in this moment, that you would challenge our hearts, that you would stretch us and push us to make decisions that we need to make, but to take actions that we need to take in this moment, God. Speak to our hearts. Challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.